Last week, we began chapter 18 of our verse-by-verse teaching series on the book of Acts. Paul had just finished his second missionary journey, and after some time resting in Syrian Antioch, Paul sets off again for his third missionary journey, which is briefly summarized in verse 23, which is where we left off last week. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Why don't we take a look at a map? So here is the third missionary journey, and this summary is is describing all these stops in this region right here. Galatia and Phrygia is this Asia Minor section here. So big, big journey that we're going to cover in the next couple of chapters. Paul is making a lot of similar stops, right? He's checking in on these churches that he helped to establish. And on this particular journey, Paul's going to spend a lot of time in Ephesus, a long time in Ephesus. That's where he left Priscilla and Aquila, if you remember. And we're going to read in chapter 19 that Paul is going to spend between two and three years, upwards of two and a half to three years in Ephesus. That's the longest Paul has stayed anywhere since he's be- began this traveling mission. So we're going to catch up with Paul soon in chapter 19, but before that, we're introduced to a new character, a Jewish man named Apollos. Verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. That's John the Baptist. So we are introduced to Apollos, a Jewish man who was native to Alexandria. So he is really a Gentile convert into Judaism. Alexandria is a large port city in Egypt on the southern side of the Mediterranean Sea. And so Apollos was educated. He was a learned man. He had thorough knowledge of the scriptures He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and we don't really know much about Apollos before this moment, so it's not clear who taught Apollos, maybe a disciple of John the Baptist. But according to Acts, that's all that Apollos knew was the baptism of John the Baptist. He hadn't been updated to the most current version of, of the gospel message. He didn't know about the baptism of Jesus. He didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And John's water baptism was good, but it was simply a baptism of repentance. It was a call to repentance. And we don't do John's baptism anymore. It's been replaced by the baptism of Jesus. When he commissioned the disciples, go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in the Gospel of Matthew. So we baptize in water today after we've made a decision to follow Jesus. Whereas John the Baptist was baptizing people to repent in preparation for the coming of Jesus. And then we also have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which we read about in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the believers received a powerful blessing of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit, spiritual gifts for, for ministry. So Paulus is behind, like there's this new update, right? There. Apollos is still running old software. You know, if you can bear with me on some a nerdy analogy here. He just needs a quick update. 
get that new operating system, you know. <coughs> Sorry, I'm such a nerd. You know, but this, this is also another example that informs the phrase full gospel. Have you guys ever heard that phrase, the full gospel? Jesus came to earth, died for our sins. We can have eternal life. That's the gospel. But Jesus also sent the Holy Spirit to empower us for ministry, and that is the full gospel, so to speak. And Apollos needed a big update. He needed the full gospel update. He was still on, you know, Jesus 95. He needed to get upgraded to Jesus 98. Okay, no more computer jokes, sorry. <coughs> Jesus XP. That's old school, man. Anyone grow up using Windows 95? Does that mean anything to anybody? Some of, some of the Gen Z are like, Windows what? <laughs> 3.1, is that what you said? 3.0, that is like old school Windows. Did they even have floppy disks on that thing? Oh, that's fun. Oh, the big ones. Man. It's really fun to look at old computer ads. They're like, 25 megabytes of storage. And I'm like, that what? And now they put like, you know, 300-something gigabytes on a tiny micro SD card. It's amazing. So back to the Bible here. Uh, the ESV translation renders verse 25 a little differently. It says that Apollos was fervent in spirit. I actually really like that translation. The word fervent, it comes from the Greek word zeo, another cool word. It literally means to boil. Zeo. Apollos was boiling in the spirit. He was so just bubbling over with the Holy Spirit, full of passion. So let's read on. Verse 26. Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So notice again, Priscilla is listed first here. We mentioned this last week. This is unusual. Typically, the male is listed first. But here, Priscilla is listed first, and her husband, Aquila, is listed second. So some scholars believe that Priscilla may have been the primary leader in the context of, of ministry. She may have been the primary teacher in addressing Apollos. Aquila may have focused more on running their tent-making business. <clears throat> so Priscilla and Aquila traveled with Paul to Ephesus. They stayed in Ephesus when Paul moved on. And now they've connected with Apollos, who's coming through Ephesus, and they're taking him under their wing. And the way that Priscilla and Aquila are engaging with Apollos, it's really important, right? It, they could have easily been antagonistic towards Apollos. They could have been like, what do you think you're doing? You're preaching an incomplete gospel. How dare you? Who said you could preach in our town? This is our town, right? You haven't been fully trained. You don't have enough education. You shouldn't be trying to preach the gospel, but that's not what happened, right? They recognized genuine passion in Apollos. He was boiling in the spirit, fervent in the spirit. And what he was preaching, however limited it was, it was accurate. So the Holy Spirit may have given Priscilla and Aquila some discernment here to see that Apollos has a calling on his life. He just needs a little more training. So instead of being threatened by Apollos, or frustrated, or seeing him as some kind of enemy or competition. They saw Apollos as a friend, as an ally, 
they recognized, okay, we're on the same team here. We're on the team for the kingdom of God. Can you imagine if churches today could recognize that and, and work together? Like, hey, we're on the same team here. There's, uh, sadly, we've got an estimated 40,000 different denominations, and, and some of them do work together in ecumenical ways, and some of them don't. And it, it breaks my heart. I mean, we could do so much good for the kingdom of God if we could just, if denominations could just work together, if we could set aside our differences, focus on the main and plain of Scripture and spreading the gospel. <clears throat> you know, but sadly, our pride often gets in the way. So Priscilla and Aquila welcomed Apollos into their home and they explained to him the ways of God more adequately. And this is important. Apollos received it. So there's opportunity for him to show pride there as well. And yet he was humble and he's like, okay, thank you. <clears throat> Humility and compassion and grace abounded in this situation. And the kingdom of God benefited greatly because of it. Let's read on. Verse 27. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. So he got letters of recommendation. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Awesome. That is a huge win for the kingdom, right? They could have been antagonistic towards Apollos, but they turned him into a powerful ally for the kingdom. So Achaia is a region that holds the city of Corinth. So that's probably where Apollos spent a lot of his time, was in Corinth. <clears throat> and then Paul even mentions Apollos in his first letter to the Corinthians. So it's very likely that Apollos had a very active and successful ministry in the city of Corinth. You know, and, and this is kind of a side note here, which I found interesting. Some scholars believe that Apollos may have been, could have been, the author of the book of Hebrews. So I don't know if you know this, but <clears throat> traditionally the book of Hebrews for centuries has been attributed to Paul. But good scholars, not the weird, crazy liberal scholars, but good, responsible scholars have recognized, okay, maybe Paul didn't write Hebrews, and it's for a lot of different reasons. Uh, for one, there's no salutation in Hebrews, and all of Paul's letters have a salutation. Hebrews is written anonymously, which why would Paul do that? Uh, also, the writing style of Hebrews is notably different from all of Paul's other letters. Paul, in all his letters, he quotes from what is called the Masoretic Original Hebrew Scripture. So Paul's quoting from Hebrew Scripture in his letters, whereas in Hebrews, the author is quoting from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of Old Testament scripture. So I know that's kind of nerdy Bible scholar stuff, but basically people who study this stuff for their whole life, they have discovered like, hmm, there's some things that don't add up here for Paul to be the author of Hebrews. And so there's been a lot of suggestions about, okay, who did write this book then? Um, maybe Barnabas, but I think more likely scholars think it was a Gentile with a Greek background because of their use of the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. So maybe somebody like Apollos, who grew up in Alexandria, which is a very Hellenistic or very Greek city, maybe even Priscilla has been suggested as possibly being the author of Hebrews. <clears throat> the, the anonymity of it seems to fit because a woman would not have been respected as an author of anything widely distributed back then. 
So if she wrote this, she would write it anonymously. Um, so we still don't know. A lot of questions, a lot of things I can't wait to ask somebody when we get to heaven. Be like, oh, Paul, Paul, I want to talk to you. Got so many questions. It's probably going to be a, a line like four miles long. Everybody's like, so, so here in this letter you said this, and then over here you said this, so what did you mean by, what did you mean by that? Maybe someday we'll move on and do a verse-by-verse uh, -verse series through the book of Hebrews. But for now, let's get back to Acts chapter 19, <clears throat> verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. <clears throat> so this is such a fascinating, fascinating example in Scripture. Paul finds Christians who hadn't received the full gospel message yet. Like Apollos, they only knew of John's baptism, they didn't know of Christ's baptism. And they didn't even know what the Holy Spirit was. So they had not received word of what happened in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost years ago. <clears throat> so Paul teaches them. He baptizes them in, with water in the name of Jesus, which is a public declaration and celebration of their salvation in Christ. That's why we get baptized, is to tell everybody, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want you to know, and I want you to know, and I want you to celebrate with me. It invites church community, friends and family, into your faith. That's why we're commanded to do that. And then Paul places his hands on them, and they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Also, they were empowered by the Spirit for ministry. They spoke in tongues, and they prophesied. <clears throat> so about two years ago, I taught a series on the gifts of the Spirit, and we covered this topic of tongues and prophecy a lot and we covered this thing that's called initial evidence doctrine, which is taught in some charismatic circles. However, most vineyard pastors, including myself, we don't teach initial evidence doctrine. So if you're interested in learning more about that, if you really want to go deep and nerdy into gifts of the Spirit, um, all those recordings are on our website. You just have to go to bavineyard.org slash sermons, and you're going to have to scroll down a little bit until you see the gifts of the Spirit series. But all, all the stuff that we've covered is on our website. Anyway, I really love what Paul says here in verse 2. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It's such a simple question, right? But this is so important for us today. Oh, you believe in Jesus? That's wonderful. That's great. Your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. Praise God. You'll spend eternity with the family of God in heaven after our time here on earth is done. And in the meantime, you have a calling as a follower of Jesus, not to just sit on your hands and wait to go to heaven. You have a calling to go and make disciples. And the way that Jesus intends for us to do that, not through our own strength, not by trying to get educated and watch lots of YouTube videos or whatever, it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is how Jesus, amen, that is how Jesus intends for us 
to fulfill this great commission, to go and make disciples, is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask everybody here today, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Have you seen the evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life? Have you seen spiritual gifts in your life? Here's this great quote from Charles Spurgeon. He says, give a man an electric shock, and I warrant you, he will know it. But if he has the Holy Ghost, he will know it much more. Amen. So, this is not something that should be confusing. If you're like, I don't know if I've received the Holy Spirit or not. If you're not sure, just ask the Lord to bless you. I mean, you can receive it again and again. You can receive a powerful filling, powerful filling, powerful anointing over and over again. It doesn't have to be a one and done type thing. All you have to do is ask. Simply pray and ask God, would you just bless me with a powerful filling of your Holy Spirit for ministry? Just ask God, God, would you give me spiritual gifts so that I can build up your church? Why would God say no to that? (laughs) That's exactly what he's called all of us to do. So, you know, say a simple prayer tonight, right now even. Tonight when you're going to bed, send up a prayer to God. Or if you're struggling, you don't have a lot of faith, ask a friend who's got some faith to pray for you. They can put their hands on you, just like Paul laid his hands on those Ephesian believers. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you a cool story. So when I was in college, I just remember praying one night before I went to bed. Just, just the most, you know, offhanded prayer. I, I really didn't put a whole lot of thought, forethought into it. Just, God, I want to have cool prophetic dreams like my mom. Because growing up, my mom, she has this prophetic gift. Like, she'll receive words from the Lord and... And sometimes she has these really vivid, powerful dreams from God. You know, and sometimes it's just bad pizza, as we say, and it's just a weird dream. Sometimes it's really from the Lord, and there's meaning in that. Um, And so that night, I'm I'm like, God, that'd be cool if I had prophetic dreams like my mom. You know, meaningful dreams from God. And I didn't do anything super spiritual. I didn't fast or get on my knees. I just, like, threw up this random prayer, hopped in bed, and went to sleep. And that night, God gave me a prophetic dream. And I didn't know a lick of what it meant. But it was actually symbolic for the next two years of our life. So I told Biz this dream, I wrote it down. And over the next two years, we're like, well, that was in my dream. This thing that just happened, that was in the dream I had a year ago. And, and over and over and over again, just all these key events were happening in our lives. And I'm like, wow, that, that, I think that's what this dream was talking about. So, I mean, God didn't really give me insight into the future because I didn't understand it, but it was kind of his way of saying, everything that's happening to you, I knew. I knew that was going to happen. That's why I gave you that dream so you'd be like, wow, God is cool. So he really just blessed me with that. And to date, I've probably had at least four or five significant, meaningful spiritual dreams that God has blessed me with. And almost every time, it's God's way of saying, I knew that was going to happen. And I just wanted to remind you, the God you serve, which is a blessing. Here's another cool story. So a friend of mine, back when she was a little girl, it was in the middle of this great revival happening in the 70s, and and, uh, she heard one of her friends, like a teenager, speaking in tongues. And she just thought it sounded really cool. Like, I know tongues is weird to some people. It really doesn't have to be. 
Like, it's really sad what we've made tongues to be. We've turned it into this scary boogeyman spiritual gift. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. And it, it's cool. Like, I've heard some people speaking in tongues, and I know it's genuine and real. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's weird, but I like it. You know, it's kind of, <clears throat> that's kind of neat. Yeah, like, and, and everybody's got different, you know, prayer languages or whatever. One time uh, at a vineyard church, somebody was praying over me, and she was making all these noises like, like these weird clicking noises. I'm just like, huh? Oh, what is that? Oh, somebody's praying. You know, but I had this peace. I had a peace about it because the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, that's me. That's cool, isn't it? Isn't that cool? I'm like, mm-hmm, okay. It took a little getting used to, right? But anyway, my friend, her, here's her friend, this teenager speaking in tongues, and she literally just says, that's cool. I want to talk like that. That's it. Almost like, oh, that, that's a neat bike. I want to learn how to ride a bike. Oh, you're speaking in tongues? That's cool. I want to learn how to do that too. <clears throat> this is the most simple, innocent thing. And so her friend's like, okay. And she just prays, God, would you help my friend to talk like this too? And boom, she receives the gift of tongues and she learns how to pray in tongues. It wasn't this big, super spiritual moment. It was just so simple. And, and I will clarify, sometimes the Holy Spirit does fall very powerfully on people you know, during times of revival, there's literally people overwhelmed with the power of the Holy Spirit that they're on the floor and they kind of just take a nap for an hour or two. You know, it, it can sometimes be a very intense emotional experience. And sometimes the Holy Spirit just gives gifts calmly, simply, quietly. It can happen either way. One is not more valid than the other. It's all from the Holy Spirit. But I do want to challenge us all to, to meditate on this verse. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? If you're not sure, or if you just want more of the Holy Spirit, I really want to encourage you to pray today. God, would you bless me with gifts of the Spirit? Or have a friend pray for you and lay hands on you and just pray over you. Let's read on. So Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. Surprise, surprise. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. And here again, we arrive at this pattern that Paul has just been facing resistance at so many synagogues, unfortunately. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. <clears throat> so the Jews in the synagogue rejected Jesus. So Paul moves on to the Gentiles. He starts meeting in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. He was just some secular Gentile teacher. And Paul had daily discussions for two years. Two years. Paul is basically putting on a college course here. Once a week, meet in the hall of Tyrannus. That is a lot of teaching. You know, and Paul wasn't just preaching to make converts and move on. He was making disciples. So he was definitely doing some disciple making here, discipleship, raising up leaders, just as Jesus did with the 12 disciples, just as Priscilla and Aquila did with Apollos, and just as I'm trying to do with all of you and the people that God puts in my life. And I hope that you're trying to do the same with the people that God brings in your life to make disciples. You know, making disciples is such an important calling. 
for a pastor, like my job isn't just to get up here and preach every Sunday so we can all check a box and go home. Okay, received sermon. Let's go to Applebee's. My job is to try to turn all of you into leaders so that you can go and do likewise. I want to make disciples so that you can go and make disciples and then your disciples can go and make disciples. That's the Great Commission. And one of the distinctives of the Vineyard Movement is, it comes from this phrase that John Wimber used to say all the time, and now we say it all the time. John Wimber is the founder of the Vineyard Movement, and he would say, everybody gets to play. At church, in ministry, everybody gets to play. Ministry is not just for the pastors, not just for people who came out of seminary. Everybody gets to play. Ministry is for everyone. Everyone gets off the bench and gets involved. So my primary goal, one of my primary focuses as a pastor is to help all of you grow spiritually so you can discover your spiritual gifts and then use those gifts to advance the kingdom of God and get off the bench and play, so to speak. You know, we're all gifted differently, right? Not everybody is going to play first base. Not everybody's going to be the pitcher. Uh, Not everyone's going to be an effective preacher, so not everyone's going to get invited up here to preach, right? It's based on gifting, calling. Not everyone is going to thrive in kids' ministry. It's not for everybody, right? If somebody's like, I hate babies, I'm not going to be like, go sign up for a nursery. That's perfect for you. But I do want to encourage all of you to discover what your gifting is. And if you need some help, let's get lunch and we'll talk about it. Discover your gifts from God. And then use those gifts to serve this church and also our our local community for the glory of God. All right, this next passage, really cool. Really cool passage. Verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Isn't that just the most bonkers verse? That is just wild. Paul had such a strong anointing of the Holy Spirit on him that even articles of clothing and pieces of cloth that had touched him were carrying healing power. Now, we shouldn't necessarily try to replicate this, right? Uh, We're not trying to create a model for healing ministry off of this extraordinary example. You know, these, these were extraordinary. In fact, some Some translations even say unusual miracles, which is a bit of an oxymoron because all miracles are extraordinary, right? All of them are unusual, but this was especially unusual, the way that God was choosing to work in this situation. And I think that's the main takeaway here is God can do whatever he wants, right? I mean, we see see patterns in scripture. We should lay hands on people and pray for healing. Um, We don't really see patterns in scripture that we should take tissues from the pastor to heal people or whatever. Uh, but God can do whatever he wants, right? So we should always be open and obedient to whatever we feel the Lord is speaking to us and through us. Jesus said in the Gospels, all things are possible with God. All things are possible. Jesus healed people with spit. That's weird. <laughs> we, we don't make healing prayer models based on that. We're like, all right, hold on. Okay, be healed in the name of Jesus. Like, People would be flying out the church doors. But God does whatever he wants, right? And another important point here is it's not Paul. It is God doing this through Paul. 
Paul was still just a man, a sinful man. God was doing these miracles through Paul, not the other way around. Paul had no power in and of himself. He was merely just being obedient to what the Holy Spirit was doing through him. And here is a poignant example of this key point. Let's keep reading. Verse 13, just a few more and then we'll be done today. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. How do you think this is going to go? Let's find out. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. 1v7. Now that is a, a match I would like to see. Sell tickets to that. Seven Jewish exorcists take on one demon-possessed man. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Yikes. So these Jews were attempting to cast out demons in Jesus' name, but they were not believers in Jesus. There was no faith behind it. They were trying, <coughs> they were trying to use the name of Jesus like some kind of magic spell, and it did not work. So it comes back to this point, like, Christians, we cannot just conjure miracles out of thin air. We are simply vessels of the work of the Holy Spirit. We are simply being obedient to the will of God in different situations. Spiritual gifts are not superpowers that we wield. We're just humble, broken vessels for the work of the Lord. So these unbelieving Jewish men, they learned a difficult lesson. The name of Jesus is not a magic word. They had no power over this, Jesus, this uh, demon trying to use the name of Jesus like a magic spell or incantation. Now, a true Christian believer with a relationship with Jesus, we've been promised that whatever we ask in his name, in the name of Jesus, will be done. And what that means is we are acting in the will of Jesus, that Jesus wants it to happen when we operate truly in the will of Jesus, we have power against the enemy. We have freedom from oppression. We have victory over darkness. So if Paul or some Christian who is acting in the will of the Lord approached seven demon-possessed men, all of the demons would flee under the power of Jesus. And this is another reminder that we need to make our faith our own, we need to make sure that our faith in Jesus is our faith. Not my parents' faith, not my friends' faith, not my kids' faith, not my aunt or uncle's faith. <coughs> These Jewish exorcists were saying, in the name of the Jesus that Paul preaches, they were trying to appeal to Paul's faith. Well, that doesn't work. Jesus wants a personal relationship with each one of us. We are invited into relationship. It's not just head knowledge. Jesus wants to know us and be our friend. <clears throat> and we need to truly know Jesus for ourselves. So I'm going to read one more passage before we wrap up today, starting with verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Wow. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. 
A number who had practiced sorcery <clears throat> brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Now, this is really cool. The name of Jesus was being held in high honor. Everyone's like, did you hear about what happened? People who were practicing dark arts were repenting. They were burning their sorcery scrolls worth 50,000 drachmas. So scholars have tried to say, okay, how much would that be worth in U.S. dollars today? Anywhere from $1 million to $5 million worth of sorcery scrolls. Isn't that crazy? That is so much money that is being burnt because people wanted to honor the name of Jesus. That is incredible. <clears throat> it was the talk of the whole town. It was the talk of the whole region. Did you hear about those Jewish exorcists that got beat up by the demon-possessed guy? They, they say that Christians who believe in Jesus can actually exercise demons. Did you hear about people in Ephesus that burned $5 million worth of sorcery scrolls? I mean, that's crazy. Who is this Jesus guy anyway? So, so word is just spreading, right? It, it is amazing how God can use an event like this for his glory. Well, we're going to stop there today. Let me just say a prayer for us and, and we'll get going. <coughs> Lord, I thank you so much for your word and just these incredible stories that we're studying together. Thank you for the faith of Paul. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. God, I just pray that, that anyone here who has not received a powerful filling of your Holy Spirit would receive that. Even tonight, Lord, just give people spiritual dreams. Give people gifts of the Spirit. This week, Lord, I just pray that new gifts would be popping up in this church and we'd be able to bless others and bless this community through that. Help us to have an impact on Milton, Pace, Pensacola, and beyond. We love you, Lord. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.